You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hello everybody and welcome to another lockdown edition of the Essential Apple. We're having some minor technical difficulties, apparently my soundboard is not playing through to the guests, but never mind, I'll splice that in after the event. So, uh, I'm joined this week by Mark again, hello Mark. Hello, how are we all doing on this fine, rainy, sunny, COVID-19, don't go out anywhere weekend, are we all good today? I think so. I think we're all doing okay. Sun's shining here, at least. Uh, you know, we had a bit of a barbecue in the garden the other day. But, uh, you know, just us, obviously, just my family. But, uh, you know, we had some sausages and chicken thighs and um, a few bread rolls. There we go. That was pleasant. I've been embracing the, um, because of this time of quarantine, I've been embracing sitting on my bench. And I sit out there for about... You know, an hour, hour here and there throughout the day, and I realised the other, and I realised yesterday that the sun comes from west to east, and so I've got a lovely left-hand side suntan, and then the rest of me is still pasty white. Oh dear! Well, there you go. (laughs) I even bored myself with that anecdote. Then anyway, we've got the other guests on the show. Go to them quick. Bail me out. Keep keep filling, keep filling. (laughs) So we're also joined by Mac Jim. Hello, James. Hey there. Can I can I suggest uh, to Mark that if he get if he gets a spit, ties himself to it and rotate rotates himself, uh, he'll get an even tan. No, I have thought of that, but what I've done instead, I've been a bit clever. As one of my uh, in my office, I've got a couple of rotating swivel chairs, so I've put that outside, and I'm like, I feel like I'm a human sire. I just keep rotating as the time goes along to keep out the shadow. <laughs> and it's also boot polish. You could uh, use that. Oh, blimey, we're, go- we're going back there. <laughs> Are we going to start mentioning that famous jam with those the, uh, no, the, the, the no, things no, on the front the we can't mention TV anymore? <laughs> and, of course, we are joined by Nick again. Hello, Nick. Hello, hello. I have uh, I treated myself this morning. I normally only have cereal for my breakfast, but I thought, well, it's Easter. It's Easter Sunday. I ought to really pull the stops out. So it was egg and bacon sandwich this morning. Very Ooh, nice. God, very, we all know how to nice. live the life, don't we? Blimmin' hell. Indeed. I had the same, by the way. I've also discovered, if we're going to keep on the food-based subject, Danish white bread. I've become a bit of a fan of that, and I don't... It says apparently less calories... And it's baked in a bigger tin. Oh. And this is what's happening. These are the things I'm now noticing, whereas every other day it'd be like, oh, just have a sandwich. But now I'm actually reading things on the packets. I think you'll find that Danish bread is considered to be less calories per slice because it's more airy than um, standard English bread. It's more foamy. Yeah, when you cut it, it's got more air holes in it. Oh, air holes. Right. Gotcha. The the dough has more gas in it when you cook it, therefore it's lighter. Should we we just do a quick roundup? If you're going to have a bacon roll, are you going to have brown or red? I'm going to go with red. Oh, well, I'm always uh, mustard and red for me, I'm afraid. What? Oh, right. Mustard and red. Wow. Yes. Yes. Brown sauce uh, for me, but I can't have bacon. No. Ah, 
Too much. Yes, it's definitely definitely red for me. Poor, poor James can't have any bacon. Because... Oh my commiseration, James. I know times are hard, but I didn't realise you were dealing with that struggle on a on, on a lifetime basis. My my thoughts go out to you, my friend. <laughs> no, it's just simply because I haven't got a, a, a gallbladder anymore. I can't. I can't deal with fatty foods. Ah. Yes, I, I don't know how I manage it then, because I, I, I have no gallbladder either. And <laughs> you eat bacon as well. Yeah. You don't get the runs. Ooh. No. So you've been listening to <laughs> today. <laughs> I love the fact I can come on a show and just crash the intro completely, even though I've not been on here for ages. Today in old men's illnesses. <laughs> the next thing we'll be talking about toothbrushes next. <laughs> We should, we should do a, a podcast called The Lockdown and just sit here and just talk about all the things that just to get it out of our system. <laughs> I mean, we've got enough time. It's like, what are we going to do? It's like, no one can go, you know what, Mark? That's a ridiculous idea. I don't have the time for that. Well, you do now. <laughs> <laughs> Must be a slow news day. <laughs> it's a bit of a snow news week, I have to admit. Um, in Apple this week, uh, contact tracing can help slow the spread of COVID-19 and can be done without compromising user privacy. We are working with Sundar Pichai, uh, Pichai sorry, and Google to help health officials harness Bluetooth technology in a way which respects transparency and consent. Uh, and that was Tim Cook, um, and I've got a link to the Apple newsroom. Um, as you've all probably heard, Apple and Google are partnering on um, a technology not yet uh, launched, I, as far as I'm aware, which will allow Android and Apple uh, iOS devices to use Bluetooth to be able to uh, uh, record what people you have been close to. Um, and obviously, as Tim has said, they are working to make it opt-in and um, privacy-centred. So uh, that's a good mm. thing. That's a good thing. Yeah. Um, two links. I've got a link from The Verge and one from Apple themselves. Sounds a good idea, but straight away, there's one thing that worries me. Where is all this data going to go? Because I'm sure as hell not going to use an app that sends that data to the government just in light of how many blinking security um, breaches that everyone seems to be having these days. I th- so, I'm, so if they can make it anonymous, which if Apple's on board, you think that's going to be uh, From, the way to do it. Yeah, well, I mean, that's very much the thing that Tim is, is saying, because it's only going to work if a large number of people use it. And a large people number of people are only likely to use it if they feel that um, it's private. And as I understand it, it, it will basically work as a kind of mesh so that your phone will record um, the details of other phones that you've been with. And I think the idea is if somebody then is taken ill, they can... Uh, effectively... It's going to have to send all that data to the cloud, isn't it? And then if they're making it anonymous, how well, they could do are it. they, they could... send an alert to you? I assume they're going to send an alert to you saying you may have been in contact with somebody who is, you know, um, either infected or been in contact with somebody who's infected. Um, I, I mean, the yeah. details, I'm not clear on the details, but I'm pretty sure they will probably do it by um, simply using a, an anonymous, you know, tag in the same way as they do with things like um, sign in with Apple or your Apple, you know, pay where it generates a code. I don't know. I haven't. I haven't delved into the depths of it. I just think it's 
again, you know, I like to rag on Google quite a lot. So when they do good things, I like to point out that they are not necessarily complete and utter. There's a, there's a, there's a story regarding the privacy issues with this Bluetooth idea. Um, Apple seems to be making sure that, you know, the privacy is, is uh, paramount. I don't know how Google works with that regard. Uh, but there are worries that um, using this kind of tracking, um, I know it's exceptional circumstances, but you're still entitled to privacy. Hey, well, looking at it here, at least th- this is one of the good things I like about Apple is that they're making it opt-in. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think in the link you just put into the Slack room, that can, I th- you can see Google making it opt-out if they choose to go down that way. I mean, but then again, Google don't like being evil and don't like slipping people's data with the Android store. <laughs> there we are. That's um. So there you go. There's another another link then from James, which is from Mac Rumors uh, about the Apple Google tracing, uh, contact tracing technology. So um, I have to say I haven't dug into it, uh, you know, deeply. Um, but at the moment, I mean, I, I can have... see, I can see the logic of it. I can see that 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 it would be possible to do without actually giving your information to anybody. Well, I uh, guess in the same in the same way as they. At the moment, they can send information across phones to say, "Here I am." Do you know what I mean? And use use local networks to actually do that. Um, I would imagine it would be possible to, as you say, pick up an an ID if you like from the other phone. I think that's basically uh, how they want to do it because they've made it clear it's not using location tracking; it's using Bluetooth. So right. I think it's it's detecting other Bluetooth signatures in the area and somehow... Which our phones do anyway, don't they? I mean, yeah. when you, if you if you look in Bluetooth, you can often see other people's phones. Yeah. So I guess somehow what it's doing is taking those tags and somewhere collating them into a huge blob of data. And yes, and then it, if if someone if someone is then ill, then the, then presumably they can just use those IDs to. Um, notify everybody to else. notify that, that phone that you you were near someone who As report, had I assume, I assume they would have to report themselves you know as people get ill they have to then say i have become ill and then it would yes yeah 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 i would think so i mean it's an opt-in thing i just you know i'm not clear on the technical details i admit because i haven't dug into it enough and at the moment they're not i'm not sure that they're actually letting out exactly what they're doing because it's not finalized yet it's something they're working on um, it's interesting that they've chosen to partner with google i mean <laughs> yeah well i guess that's something they'd normally do but i suppose it's just covering android and ios isn't it yeah I think it's, it's, the, it's the main two um OS, OS is in influence. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm curious how they, if they're saying that they're not going to be tracking you, is how they can use Bluetooth to track you. You know, there must be some way of tracking to tell you know, this person's had an infection and you were nearby. So there must be some kind of tracking there. Well, I, I, th- I think the only, what it's, it's doing, curious. I think what it will be doing, and, and again, this is speculation, but based on what they've said, mm-hmm. I think what it's doing is simply, you know, as, as Nick just said, if you look in Bluetooth, you will see a whole load, host of Bluetooth devices who, you know, are yeah. in range around and you. Then, uh, within range, yeah. And I can assume all it's doing, instead of simply showing you that there and then, it's somehow recording the unique mm. IDs, whether they be, you know, completely anonymously generated ID, mm-hmm. which then it just keeps a track. And if somebody hits the red button that says, I have become sick with COVID-19, 
you know, all the phones within, um, you know, within, I don't know, say a 14-day period that it's been there will get an alert saying, you know, one of the people you have been near in the last 14 days has reported they have COVID-19. I, I don't know. Maybe they're, you know, Apple and Google have a lot of very, very, very clever people working for them who can no doubt come up with something far more sophisticated than my crude off the top of my head, uh, you know, surmise. But I just think it's a good thing. Um, mm-hmm. So long as the government doesn't abuse it and then they start thinking, well, we've now got this sort of tracking sort of data that we sort of know people's movements, as long as it doesn't get abused. And again, it's like, how, where does all this data go and how is it going to be stored? Because you can imagine both Google and Apple will have completely different philosophies on how to store this data, how to make it anonymous, yet how to have I mean, it in such a way where you you can get notified. I um, assume, I mean, I don't know, but it might be possible that the um, the data never leaves your phone. Well, the other thing is, the other thing you have to worry about is, you know, once this crisis is over, um, when you delete the app, does it delete all that information? It doesn't leave some kind of plug-in which is constantly recording where you are. Well, I mean, um, um, as I say, app, um, Apple, I think, when it's ready, will be pushing mm-hmm. it out as a um, some kind of system update. Mm-hmm. Um, Google, I think, are going to do theirs by putting it in, uh, plugging it into the Google Play services because that's the only thing they can guarantee will get out to all the Android phones um, in a timely I fashion. Think, um, I think, I think, Mark, you being a, a little paranoid. I mean, anyone would think that the governments wanted uh, back doors into our phones. Oh, yeah. I know who, who could think that that you know we have a right to privacy. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but there you go. Um, I just found it a fascinating story, and actually, when we know more about how it works, it will be very interesting. Um, it will. Well, to... this next story, I mean, what's going on? Right, I know I've been out of the news for a little bit. What's going on with the next story? Because now you've got... Uh, hang on, oh, why have I got oh, stupid banners? Google gets on board with Apple's SMS security proposal. Now, this is one we... Is this... Is well, I think this is something to do with the fact that... Um... Uh, although you use two-factor authentication, you get a text message with a number uh, that can be intercepted uh, and read. So it's not as secure as no. Um, We've we, I mean we have talked about this before. I mentioned it when it mm-hmm. first came up, and Google have now officially got on board with it. And how it works is at the moment, for example, if you go to your bank and they say we will now send you a one-time passcode. And they text you, don't you, a number which you copy and paste or type in to the web page that wants to authenticate you. What they're saying is, at the moment, never mind um, ways of intercepting the SMS and so on, which is another issue, um, is that if you get tricked into going to a, you know, a fake bank login in the famous, you know, um, phishing style, you know, there's been a bank error. Go click on this link to log into your bank. Um, there is no way for you to know what they're saying is if you, with this system, the SMS would somehow embed the URL of of the, the, the correct address the, rather of, than of, the yeah, spoofed address. Yeah. Exactly, precisely. So that if you then attempted to put that um, that one-time passcode into a um, you know a phishing site, the uh, your computer would be able to know that, that that does not completely tally and it would say this this URL does not 
you know, um, correlate with the sender of your one-time passcode. It's, it's, you know, it's not perfect, I don't think, but it's still a step better than mm -hmm. at the moment. And again, I think this is one where Apple came up with the idea, or maybe in partnership with Google, I don't call exactly now, um, but Apple certainly put it forward and Google again, you know, why are they working with Google? Because if you get it on iOS and Android, you've probably covered 99.99% of all the devices. Um, yeah. So it seems quite good this because I, me quite blindly, whenever I go to like my bank and they send me a one-time password and you just get to, I, and this is a thing I love about my iPhone. It's such a small thing. You know, when you get the, um, we've sent a pin number to your phone and it just pops up and you can press it and then it fills in the web form. Oh my God, I fall in love with that feature every time I've seen it. Yeah, it is brilliant. So basically what they're trying to do then is looking at this article here, they're, they're going to embed a machine-readable authentication string, which will be read by the browser when polling on device messaging, i.e. Safari or on iOS. And the code will only be offered up if everything matches properly. So it's sort of like, you know, like you get, um, oh, what did I see the other day? Um, bargains. Um, next, uh, so what, hang on, what is it? Next clearance discount at next discount stores.com and they try and send you a message from next but it doesn't but the two strings don't match up they're trying to avoid yeah. spoofing so again kudos to apple there nice to see them that they're moving something forward uh, and again a huge shout out to whatever bright spark came up with that thing of click here to enter your code and then i can laugh at people who still have to go to barclays and get those little r what well, not rfids or oh, what are they called well the little like hardware Number generators. RSA uh, key generators. Yeah, you can you can either use an RFID version or you can use a when it plugs into an iOS device. So you, you get different types of uh, connectors on them. Um, you can tell it's a slow news week when we're getting all excited about auto filling in SMS passwords. We're well, really the fact that WWDC got binned off of it, didn't we? Well, anything uh, increases security uh, is a good thing. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Absolutely, yeah. definitely. Definitely. It's, you know, it's the thing is, people have known for a while that SMS one time passcodes are not a really secure, technically a very secure way to do it, but they're better than not having one time passcodes. And yeah. even if, but it's convenience, isn't it? That you could come up with all sorts of ways which would be far more secure, but would be a pain in the backside for your average punter. You know, the, oh, stick your UB key in and all that. That's lovely, but. The only problem I get with um, SMS um, codes is you don't always get them right away. Uh, yeah. You click on it, you know, to send one, and you wait and you wait. And you say, wait, click again if you haven't got it. Click again, you wait, you wait, you wait. And by the time you finish, you got like three or four messages coming yeah. in all, all at one time. And, and, oh and, yeah, uh, so that, that's normally when you're trying to do something with Amazon in a rush, and you're going, "Come on." It's been less than a nanosecond <laughs> since you said you were sending that code. Yeah. Did I hear a conspiracy theory there? <laughs> no, not me. <laughs> so there we go. Um, so actually two things that Google and Apple are, you know, the big giants are working hand in hand in, uh, both of which actually are, are good things, I think. Um, yeah, I'm are. surprised hell isn't freezing over, though. <laughs> well, you know. 
I know. Because, I mean, a few years ago, they wouldn't have worked together at all, would they? But uh, no. no, it's good to see them working it's together. It's good. I think that the truth is, like so many things, um, when you become the two dominant players in a field, um, there's a certain amount of freneminess that goes on, isn't it? You, They're friendly rivals in a way, and they kind of, to some extent, they spur each other on. Um, they might hate certain things that the other side do, but at the same time, if you control pretty much the whole market between you, you have to cooperate to some extent, because otherwise everything becomes a fractured mess, and we We've been there before in the early days of the net and nobody wants to go back there in the this site only works with IE Explorer 6 and all that sort of nonsense. Uh, maybe maybe Apple and um, Google could uh, have a word with various governments about um, electric car charging then. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. So that we could just get one plug and one type of charging. Can we have one? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Nice. Can we have an international standard, please? There we go. Um... Apple. At least we're at least we're not back in the the early two thousands. God, <laughs> like I've got a Nokia. I remember being that one guy who had the the Nokia banana phone from the Matrix, and it had its own connector. And you'd walk into an office going, "Has anyone got a connector for a Nokia?" And everyone would have a different connector. So at least we're going <laughs> from true. the millions true. of connectors down to something I mean, uh, a little bit more manageable. I and mean, we've mentioned that before, and. Yeah, obviously, when we get you get this hoo ha about should you know should Apple be forced to go to USB C or um, you know all these kind of things about the EU trying to standardise chargers and charging blocks and whatnot. And although I can see a certain amount of resistance to that, and you know, like Bart said, we don't want to stifle innovation by saying this is the you know let's face it, look at the UK 13 amp plug. It's standard throughout the whole of the UK, but and it's a very safe plug, one of the safest plugs in the world, actually, because it has, you know, it's earthed and all the rest. But as a plug design, it's a bloody nightmare. The best thing I've seen, um, uh, the best innovation I've seen with the 13 amp plug is the one I got with my Apple Watch Zero, where the pins all fold down flat. So when you put it in your pocket or your bag, you don't have those oh, three yes. great big yeah. prongs. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. And you stopped doing that as well with the latest stuff with the later Apple Watches as well, which yeah, uh, well, that's, gave... and that's what I get annoyed at Uncle Tim because it's I mean, it's an innov- it's innovative, but it's nothing new or original. If that makes sense, which it probably doesn't, but it was just so nice to know that you can have one plug, fold it up, take it travelling, and you're done. And they've stopped doing that. And it just this is where I get a little bit angry. Other than security with Apple, is stop being so cheap penny and taking pinching. away. Don't penny pinch. I mean, yeah. Right, my Apple Watch Zero came with one of those 13 amp plugs with fold down prongs, which was absolutely brilliant. Yes, you can put it in your pocket and carry it around with you without stabbing yourself in your private parts. Um, it, that was lovely, and it came then with the about I don't know about an eight foot um USB cable with the you know magnetic coupler on. Um, when I bought the Apple Watch Three, you get just a sort of three and a half foot cable. USB cable, no plug, just the cable with the magnetic coupler on. And as I say, only about three foot long. Um, those, It's like with the um, laptops. You no longer... You know why I've just worked out. You know why that'll be? They'll be they'll be pulling the old well. We're cutting down... 
I've got it. You know what they say? We've cut down on our waste and our manufacturing processes, and now we're even more greener and using less harmful components. Yeah, because you're not producing the blimmin' things we need to power them up, or they're going to they'll uh, announce a record profit in uh, accessory sales for chargers. <laughs> yeah. Did you? I mean, I don't know if anybody's noticed, but it, they stopped providing the extension cord or the laptop chargers. Anybody got one new enough to notice that? You no longer no. get you no longer get the sort of four foot cable that goes mains to the charging block. You just get the slot in plug. If you want the cable which goes from the wall to the charging block, they will now sting you about twenty odd quid for one. Oh no, I didn't know that. Yeah. You no, don't but... So now you only get, you know, a plug that goes in the charger, which means the charging brick goes directly into, the, effectively into the socket. So then you've only got uh. the length of the cable from the block to your laptop, whereas before you had this extension cord that gave you another four foot or something. And the only so, trouble with those as well is they nearly always end up covering up other sockets, so because then they're not, they're not small enough to just take up one socket. To be, to be fair to Apple, though, uh, Apple's not the only company that's doing that. Um, my, my new camera, I've uh, got a Fujifilm X100V, um, doesn't come with a, a battery charger. It, it, basically, all it comes with is a camera uh, mm. and, a, and a USB-C cable, and that's it. Well, like, Bat- see, and the battery, obviously. I mean, that... So you have to plug the camera in, effectively? You, you basically have to plug it into a um, plug adapter. Right. So the likes of um, you know, Apple's folding pin, three pin plug that you were talking about, uh, Simon, um, you can plug it into that. Or there's the MU, MU which is a, a nice wee plug that folds up. Uh, it's been in the market for quite some time now. Um, also folds up for you know carrying about. Uh, but they're all they're all doing this. They're all cutting out in cables and plugs. And well, I guess I guess to some extent. That was what the EU wanted because by forcing everybody mm. to go to USB, what they wanted was, like Mark was saying, you know, if you're old enough, you remember the days when every single phone had its own proprietary bloody charger, yeah. Yeah. right? And so if you if your cable broke or one of the tiny pins on the damn thing snapped off, you'd have to go and pay Nokia an obscene amount of money to get a replacement charger. At least now, I can understand with your camera, it comes with the cable, it comes with the battery, there's no USB supply because, let's face it, 99% of people in the world have got more USB outputs than they know what to do. Um, recently, I bought a 13-amp a plug. Uh, it looks like um, one of those things, you know, like a socket doubler, but it's a 13-amp plug. It goes into the wall. It only takes up one space. What it does is move the 13-amp uh, point down the depth of I don't know inch and a half, and then above that there are two USB. Oh, that's a good idea. Which is a lovely thing. Um, and mm. I put it in the wall, you know, uh, in the socket next to my sofa, and with a long USB cable, you can have your phone or your tablet and have it plugged in, or my boys, you know, um, PlayStation controllers, and you can plug them in. Um, and you've not actually taken up a socket. You can still you mm. plug in a light or something. It's a handy little thing. Um, and more and more of those things are coming around. And so yeah, I kind of understand it. And up to a point, I agree with it. 
But when it comes to things like saying, we're not going to give you the extra four foot cable for your laptop that you've just shelled out 1200 quid for, that just seems, <laughs> that just yeah, seems a bit penny pinch. Unnecessary. Yeah. You know. Yeah, if you're paying two and a half grand for a, for a laptop. Yeah. You know, I mean, mean, if you're going to, like I say 1200 quid, I mean, I'm talking, that's you're talking about a mid range MacBook Air there, aren't you? Mm-hmm. You go up the top end, four or five, maybe pushing six grand, and yeah, they're not going to, and they're going to charge you twenty quid to have the extension cable for your charger. That just seems mean, to be honest. I, I would like to see them actually do something like, uh, you know, if you buy a product from them, they'll ask you, "Do you need a cable?" Yeah. And if you do need a cable, then they give you one for free. Uh, but if you don't need a cable, you've already got one. Well, you don't need one. But but to be charged for something, it should really be in the box. Is yeah, but mean. I just uh, just some of it seems a bit penny pinching. That's all, mm-hmm. you know. Or if you if you're not going to supply a 13 amp um, extension cord to plug into your power supply, then can you make the piece of wire that goes from the charger to the MagSafe or the USB C coupler, you know, three foot longer? How much is that going to cost you? A fraction of a cent per item. Um, that, that'll build on chi charging into the devices. Well, there you go. Anyway, uh, moving on a bit after that, Apple has fixed FaceTime, USB-C, and Office 365 bugs in Mac OS Catalina. Um, that is, they released um, a Mac OS 10, 15, 4 supplemental in the week. Um, there was apparently um, an slightly embarrassing bug where apparently uh, the if you updated your FaceTime would not connect with uh, FaceTime on some older devices. Um, I've heard some people saying this as if it was like literally if you hadn't got the latest update, it didn't work. That's not true. It was um, devices running 10.15.4 or 13.4 could not connect to FaceTime with users running iOS 9.3.6 or 10.11.6 or earlier. So, all right, I'm glad they fixed it, but we're not talking about, oh, it doesn't work with, you know, 10.14 or 10.15.1. We're talking about pretty, I mean, uh, 10.11.6. What's that? You're talking about machines from... 2010 or something i think are the last machines that wouldn't go any higher than that um there we go they remedied it in a couple of days anyway um jolly good what i'd like to see them fix is the problem i'm having um the last time i was on uh, the show i mentioned that uh, 13.4 had fixed my belgium number uh, corruption and Uh, yeah spoke too soon yeah spoke too soon yeah and even with 13.4.1, it's still going to be the Belgian number problem. That is a, that has got to be a really, really frustrating bug. And it does make you yep. wonder, is it Apple's fault or is it something to do with Virgin Media? Because I know it's a known Virgin Media mm-hmm. um, problem. Nobody else uh, that I'm aware of is suffering from that. Yep. So it does make yeah. you wonder if it's not Virgin Media who need to pull their finger out of a dark does hole. Does it? It doesn't seem to be a problem if you switch your phone off, you know, completely um, regular. Uh, but if you're if you're trying overnight, you know, to get a backup, your phone's on all the time. Um, so basically, what I have to do every day or two is restart the phone, hmm. either hard reset or just switch off and switch it back on. That fixes it for a wee while. But back to corruptions after a while. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's really weird, isn't it? It yeah. is very, very strange. I, I, I really don't want to. I really don't want to pay the money if uh, it's actually coming from Bale and to pick me up to go home. No, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Although, of course, at the moment, probably less of a problem, Jim. As yes, yeah, not a us, problem. <laughs> none of us can go down the pub, so there's no need to be calling a yeah. cab for a lift home. Yeah, mm. but uh, even so, yeah, it would be good mm. if that could be fixed. It would be really good if you could come on the show and say. It's fixed, and it's been fixed for like a month, and it's not reoccurred. That would be fabulous. Um, apparently, Office 365 users uh, would be repeatedly prompted to enter their passwords, um, and also a problem which could cause 2020 MacBook Airs to stop working under certain circumstances when disconnecting from some external displays. And a problem preventing USB-C ports from working. Now, that's a bit of a problem, definitely. Hang on, did I just hear that right? Office 365, a software app, can stop USB ports working? No, 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 no. The the supplemental addressed some various bugs, one of which was... Oh, okay. One of which caused Office 365 users to be repeatedly prompted for their passwords. One was a problem where MacBook Airs would stop working uh, when disconnecting from certain displays, and it resolves a problem which prevented USB-C ports from working correctly, um, as well as the FaceTime thing. So um, there we are. Uh, that came out, I don't know what, two two days, three days after the um, 15.4? So, you know, promptly, fixed promptly. Um, obviously very annoying if any of these bugs, you know, strike you. This is how these things go. Uh, let's see. Um, Apple um, have, of course, designed a uh, face shield for health workers, uh, a kind of PPE um, face shield. I've got a link to Popular Mechanics describing it. It is, of course, very Apple. It's a very minimal, simple um, kind of, it's a headband with, you know, a simple uh plastic shield which wraps across the face um well done apple basically um teams across apple have been working hard on ways we can support heroic frontline medical professionals said tim cook um it de- delivered its first shipment to kaiser permanente hospital in santa clara last week and the feedback from doctors was positive um they also of course have sourced uh, i don't know what it is now 20 30 million um face masks it's a it's it is really really minimalist it is a headband and then a clip on plastic face shield which is exactly what you'd want because obviously these dim things have got to be disposable they've got to be worn once and then safely disposed of it looks very it's, simple. It's, it's good to see apple doing that but it's also very good to see you know worldwide uh, people who are uh, coming with innovative ways of uh, providing things for um ppe uh, you know, like farmers using their, um, what, what do you call these printers now, 3D printers? 3D printers, yeah. Yeah, mass manufacturing parts in, in, at, you know, at home for hospitals and yep. medical supplies. It's, it's really, you know, it's brought a lot of people together. Um, There's a lot of good folk out there. Do you remember the other week when we were talking about ventilators? I don't remember, but I, I, there was one about, there was one where they used um, a diving mask, was it? Yeah. Um, yeah. Somebody on the somebody on the show, I can't remember. Mm-hmm. Was it was it you, Mark, who said what about scuba equipment? You could use that to because it pushes air. Um, no, that'd be way too intelligent for someone like myself. 
somebody mentioned it. I'm pretty sure it was on the show. Somebody said, what about scuba gear? Um, and I actually read a piece. I don't have a link to it because it was kind of in the middle of something else, but it was talking mm-hmm. about ventilators and it was talking about what you're talking about, James, uh, you know, people using 3D printers to um, print out parts for ventilators. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things which I know somebody came up with was um, they released the thing where you could, you can um, 3D print a valve which allows a single ventilator to serve two patients. Um, basically, it's simple. Yeah, I, that was a story. Well, yeah, I remember that story. Then the yeah. guy got into a bit of hot water because he wanted to patent it before he would actually release all the uh, in, all the details and documents for it. Um, I think I think that went by the by. Either if there was somebody trying to do that, they probably either got shouted down or thought better of it. Because there's definitely open source um, plans for 3D printers to do that. Um, but in that story as well, they were talking about, you know, in places like Italy, where it's been very, very bad. Um, and they mentioned that somebody had used scuba, slightly modified scuba equipment. Um, and as they said, you know, it's not as good as a proper ventilator. But if it helps keep somebody alive, then that's better than nothing. So, um, yes, somebody did actually use scuba uh, gear. Does anybody to... want to hear another conspiracy theory? Go on then. Isn't it interesting that when just before Europe got locked down, you couldn't get PPE equipment for love nor money? Suddenly, China fires back up and starts manufacturing a couple of weeks before this whole thing really kicked off. And look at that. There's now a plethora, apart from coming into the UK, of PPE equipment. Again, the corporate company that I worked with, they were sourcing... about 300,000 PPE kits for all their workers um, from China before we even actually locked down. So just going to throw that little conspiracy theory out there, along with the one people on Facebook who are convinced that COVID-19 isn't real and that 5G will also help spread COVID-19. Oh, yeah. Don't don't even don't even go there with the lunacy 5G cobblers. I don't know if, if I don't know if you've seen it um, being passed around. There's uh, there's a ludicrous story that if you look at a twenty pound note, there's a five G mast with a coronavirus above the top of it, which is supposed to prove to you that this is all a government conspiracy. However, that is absolute nonsense because it's actually a, a famous lighthouse. <laughs> A very famous lighthouse. It is not a 5G mast. Actually, it doesn't look anything like a 5G mast because a 5G mast is a tower with a load of aerials and stuff sticking out at the top. But there you go. Um, yeah. It just shows you how um, how much the world has changed with, with regards to communication. Um, you know, you get that much fake news, as Mr. Trump likes to talk about, about the corona Um virus you know there's so much fake news going around that you get people believing these things about 5g mass um so it's, it's too easy now to disseminate uh, fake information oh absolute piffle yeah but it's also it's also good to be able to actually get the the the, the you know the real genuine information out as well it's a two two way street yeah it is. I've got a bone to pick with the media in Trump, actually, funnily enough. Would anyone like to hear yet another ramble from me? <laughs> Go, on, Go on. Right, so the other day, I was, I was again, I was sat in my comfy chair, drinking a lovely 
a lovely glass of red. You have too much time in your hands. Ruminate, yes, ruminating <laughs> about the world. So it came up, Donald Trump live press conference. And there was a couple of questions about COVID-19 and Trump is just being Trump. They are, what are they doing about the global economy, blah, blah, blah. And then in the middle of this deadly serious event, he got asked, have you seen the film? Uh, what, now, what's that show on Netflix called that I'm uh, that I can never remember the title of? The one that everyone seems to be raving about at what, the moment. What the Tiger King? That's it. This guy generally said, um, "Donald Trump, are you aware?" Uh, I'm paraphrasing it. Have you seen the Tiger King? And would you consider pardoning the guy who's in jail for 15 years for plotting murder? Yeah. <laughs> it was. It, it was. It was a lovely moment of thinking. Some reporter has tried their best. to. Sh- it's like, you know what I need to do? I need to go onto YouTube, look at the algorithm, see what's trending number one. Right, that's the question I'm going to ask Donald Trump. And then the very next day, The Telegraph, which is supposed to be quite a decent paper, I mentioned the same article <laughs> that Donald Trump was, John Trump was pressed on the Tiger King. I'm, can I plead the faith on that one? I'm going to plead the faith on that. The, the Telegraph. <laughs> Let me say, in my view, the Telegraph, once upon a time, was a respected newspaper. Now it is... Um, well, let's mm. just say they published a piece um, on Boris in which they it was so Stalinist, it was untrue. It's like... Boris Johnson's health represents the health of the body politic and then by extension the health of his country itself. It's like, do you think he's bloody King Arthur? That line comes out of bloody Excalibur. Is it too early to start drinking when I hear about stories like this? (laughs) So no, I'm afraid the Tory graph is nothing but a propaganda sheet these days. In my personal opinion. There we go. Before anybody... I agree with you. There we are. Um... Crazy. Absolutely crazy. Um, Apparently, the MacBook Pro keyboard is ready for new colourful technology. Now, I know this is from one of your favourites, Mark. This is from Forbes. Oh, God. This is the one where they said the MacBook Air fails the coronavirus test. Yes, Jim, did you, Sorry, James, did you hear about that article that we put on the show last week? Uh, I can't remember, actually. I listened to the show, but... Uh... So was, let me let me get let me give you a, a, a let me really, give you a headline. And I, tell I can't remember what I did yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> oh, trust me, I I tried a new wine, like I tried a new prosecco last night that was infused with gin and some other nonsense. It was bloody awful. But anyway, let me give you a headline and let's see if you can guess what the article was going on about. <clears throat> this is from Forbes, who Apple liked to parade on the stage. MacBook Air fails the coronavirus test. Mm-hmm. MacBook Air fails the coronavirus test. From that headline alone, what do you think that they're trying to say about the MacBook Air? That it's been infected by a coronavirus, <laughs> even though it hasn't got a respiratory system. <laughs> I think you're probably, probably going to say that about any keyboard or any touchscreen that will fail that test because it's probably covered by it. Uh, nope, no, no, nope. You're all completely wrong. Would you like to know the answer? Go they on. Made it, it was it was because it doesn't have a HD camera for your FaceTime. FaceTime. Oh, I did hear this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, just just let that see. They managed to shoehorn in coronavirus, MacBook fail. Apple, the ultimate clickbaity headlines, because even I'm bloody talking about it, because <laughs> the webcam's a little bit rubbish. <laughs> a little bit. Mm. 
Well, anyway, um, this one is also by Forbes. The only thing I can say about Forbes is it, you know, yes, they tend to have a negative slant on Apple very much so, but it does depend on the writer. So sometimes there are quite good stories. Um, and this one is, as many MacBook re users rejoice at the removal of the problematic butterfly keyboard from the MacBook Air and the larger MacBook Pro, new details have emerged of another change which Apple may be making to look to uh Laptop keyboards. Can Tim Cook and his team keep your letters purest white no matter where you are? Um, and this is from a patent, of course. Electronic devices having backlit keyboards displays with adjustable white points. Um, and effectively, what they're saying is they might link the True Tone technology, which adjusts the colour of your screen on um, newer uh, MacBooks, um, to adjust the white point and brightness and possibly even colour of the backlighting on your keys. Isn't that well worth a long article in Forbes? There we go. So there is, <laughs> at least it could have been worse. At least they're not going to start thinking about putting RGB keys on it all and starting to go down the whole gamer route. I mean, all Apple needs to do is just make sure the keyboard's half good to start <laughs> off with. And then just, you know, do other things like make the sound better or put in a decent <laughs> webcam or I don't know, give us another USB slot or oh, I don't know, make the cooling a little bit better so they can run well, a bit faster. It, when we were um, when we were talking about the when you were talking about the um, plugs and things earlier on, I, I must admit, I was thinking at the time, um, if you get a really cool design that works really well, then don't stop using it. <laughs> well, that's what they did with the keyboard, wasn't it? They said we did some research and we researched and researched, and then paraphrasing again, then we realised that we already had the perfect keyboard. Yeah, the one that we tried so hard to get rid of. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. I mean, if you've got a really good design, don't throw it away. I was googling there the the, the thought of um, you putting on some disco music in your laptop and the keys flashing in multiple colours as you as the music plays <laughs> along. You know, I already yeah. do that with my light bulbs. I can say, "Hey, hey, portable <laughs> device, make things ambient," and then I can pretend that I'm outside and sat in a club on my own like I normally am. So yeah, it's yeah. kind of like a home from home for me. This at the moment. Yeah, yeah but it's not wonder what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! It's um, they're they're a good few hundred meters away, and they've. <laughs> I on one of the last weeks I came back from work, I was quite surprised that they'd actually put up a massive six foot five fence around my garden. I'm thinking, should I be taking a hint here? <laughs> Honest to God, I went to work on a Monday, came back on the Friday. It's like bloody hell! And it, it's it, it's quite a sizable fence as well. And now, now we're really heading down into the road. We're talking about um, fences. <laughs> Oh, Nick's bowing dear. out now because he's a he's got family commitments and b if this 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 podcast gets any more exciting, uh, his house party is yes indeed. himself. Um, so um, I'm just so you might have to cut this out um, later, uh, Simon. Um, there'll be no backup recording from here on in, obviously, but okay. I'll I'll be recorded up to this point. Okay, lovely. Right. See you later then, Nick. Yeah, have a good week, guys. All Cheers, right. Nick. Have a good one. Bye. Right. So, and then there were three. And then there were three. So anyway, uh, Mark, in that article, they do actually talk about colour changing keyboards um, and Apple patents for said things. Um, Apple's comment apparently on it is, strictly speaking, a keyboard with variable colours and lighting has a multitude of uses. They could show different editing commands in a media suite or guide towards hot keys in the DJ application or help by changing 
colours of all the keys and react with different control and modifier keys. There we go. No, how much will that add to the price of the laptops? Oh, God. quid for that keyboard, which, God, what a ridiculous time we live in where I'm looking at that keyboard and thinking, if I still had a job, I would be tempted. And the, now, the one thing now they said, and I like the idea of this particular use for RGB keys, is I've been doing a lot of editing on Lima Fusion, and if it could light up a few keys when the, the context is changed, so you go to split a video clip and say it highlights the shortcut keys for uh, trimming the start, trimming the end, or a few other features, well, that's I would exactly be well up for that. That is exactly what they're talking about here, isn't it? That's you know that's what they're saying. I mean, these are all Apple patents, and we all know about Apple patents. I mean, there's also one mentioned here: the use of a laser to de- detect the movement of the keys rather than an electrical circuit. Just wait till they add lidar to the laptops. <laughs> There we and are. Three, and three cameras at the back. Yeah, there we and are. Go to, your, go to your concert and hold it up. <laughs> um, and finally, um, from the Apple story, basically, a security firm finds sketchy fleeceware apps in the iOS App Store, uh, Cult of Mac. Apparently, some researchers have found um, about 30 uh, applications which are of the, you know, have a free trial and then uh, after two days you're immediately signed up for some, you know, extortionate um, subscription um, and that they are basically load of tosh applications. Well, we're not too far off that now because you get a load of games that before you can play the game, you load up the game, you watch an advert, you go through a menu, you watch an advert, you get halfway through a game of football, you watch an advert, uh, an advert. It's only because they're just starting to think, well, how far can we push this? That we were even talking about. This has just existed for ages. I'm just trying to oh, get yeah. to the article now. But I mean, it, God I... bless you, Colton Mac, for your ad blocker. Yep, fleeceware, fleeceware. They can't. I'm not allowed to use an ad blocker to read the blimmin' story, am I? It was the worst <laughs> thing Apple ever did. Was allow um, in-app purchases. That was the worst thing they ever did. I agree with in-app purchases to a point. That it would be a much better better model, and like I pay ninety nine p or whatever, whatever to get rid of adverts mm. in a good game. Well, but where where I object to it is, yeah, put one or two adverts in. Yep, you've got to win a living, no problem to, with that at all. But when it hinders the experience, or you're looking at a game and you can't actually separate the bit where it's trying mm-hmm. to get you to buy something versus getting uh, in-app currency. That's where I have a really big problem. Motorsport Manager is one of those games where you play it and then I just got a bit confused because I've won a race and I've got some currency, but then it's taking me to here to say, Topic, you can buy even more. But it does it in such a obvious and in-your-face not subtle way. Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll rephrase what I, what I said there. Yeah, in a way, it was the worst thing they ever did. Um, you know, especially for games and that, where you get you get uh, you know, extortion at prices for simple wee things. Um, and that's good for like so, you know professional apps. You know, apps you can get an upgrade to a much better. Um, it's like Ferrite is a good example of that. I had no yeah. after I used it for a little bit, and the way that because uh, we've, we've we've spoken to the developer on the show, and whenever I send him a technical support question, he always replies and goes, "By the way, it's on the website." Just to say, look, I you know you, you could go on the website, but he's so good at providing support that when you 
Well, I wanted to get through the basics and I wanted to use a slightly more advanced feature just to have a tickle with it. I could, and that was yeah. brilliant. But then when I really started to want to go to that, well, what's it like to, I need this. He set his in-app purchase, as far as I'm concerned, one of the best. I think LumaFusion haven't done too bad on that as well. Well, I mean, I've got I've got LumaFusion. I'm quite happy with it. It's not a cheap app, but you get what you pay for. Uh, the, the, the interesting thing is thought, there's rumours about um, iOS 14 um, and the possibility of having trial apps. You know, you can run the app in full uh, and test it out. Uh, and if it doesn't suit, you just delete it. Um, but if you carry on using it full time, then you get you get charged for it. That, that, that to me is a good idea. You're at least being allowed to test the, 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 the software out, see if it suits your needs. And if it doesn't suit your needs, well, you just delete it without a charge. Uh, so here's hoping that actually comes in. I think that's what they should have done you know, a long time ago. But we'll yeah, Apple, yeah, Apple aren't exactly known for being speedy on the on the change of their the way that they they do things. Like that. I'm mm. just pondering that. Would I use that? Because um, you bring up an interesting point there. Would it and would it be universal? So let's say um, uh, in the fantasy world that Lightroom, no, sorry, Final Cut became available. Mm. I would love to just sort of be able to have a dabble with it and give it a trial. And that's and I suppose in a way they already do that because can't you get like a refund on an app if you haven't used it for a certain period of time? Um, you can get you can get refunds, but I'm not sure exactly what for. Um, yeah, I don't uh, it's a long time to quid on yeah. the final cut and then go ah, it's not for me. Yeah, it's a long time since I've actually done that with any iOS software. You know. Well, there you go. Um, to be honest, this. You know, fleeceware apps, of course they exist. They must be very difficult to detect because effectively what they're doing, yes, they're exploiting the subscription service. What you get is, a, you know, some nonsense horoscope application or something, or apparently some of them are QR scanners and things like that. Um, and basically, they're, you know, they say, in the, you know, they must say in the terms, this is free for three days and then you'll be charged an obscene amount of money a week but they've only got to catch a few people out i guess to make their money now i'm sure apple play whack-a-mole with apps like that all the time um you know a security firm has found 32 fleeceware apps yeah out of how many millions i just read that but apparently two of the uh the the uh, two astrology apps are in the uh, are in the list of the top 20 grossing ones in the UK. And I'm just I'm just trying to log in and have a look. God blimey, it's been ages since I've been into the uh, to the app store. How do you even... Oh, God, I'm turning into that old man. I need a, <laughs> I need a small child to say, how do I do this? So your neighbours put a high fence around your house and you're now turning into an old man. Okay. Well, well, I, like, I, do, well admit, I do like my little routine of... Oh, God, I'm about to admit this. I like sitting outside on my bench and I always make sure I have some food for the birds at about two o'clock. There we go. So, anyway, and let's move on. if you'd like on. to help me out of the house, please donate to our patron. I yes. could just buy myself some sanity. <laughs> so, we'll move on a bit. Um, another Google story. Google has debuted a Braille keyboard for vision-impaired Android users. Fairly simple. It divides the screen into six um, segments representing the dots of the Braille, um, and therefore vision-impaired Android users can use that to type in Braille. Um, or, you know, because they're 
more familiar with typing in Braille than trying to see the keyboard on a phone. Um, a good thing, a good thing. Apparently, Apple introduced such a thing several years ago. Um, that's not to knock Google for doing it. Good for them. Everything which is a step forward for, you know, those who, uh, you know, are limited in their faculties in some way uh, due to illness or whatever is a good thing. We should all mm-hmm. you know, strive for accessibility. Um, in some ways, I think it's probably a bit of why haven't Google done this before? But now they have. So there you are. Um, another everything's another... obvious when it's been invented. That is true. But apparently, you know, Apple introduced a Braille keyboard for vision impaired users several years ago. There we go. Um, the U.S. states need COBOL programmers to help them handle aging systems. Uh, I've got a link here to PC World. Uh, sorry, PC Mag. Um, for those who don't know, COBOL, which is um, common business something. Object language. language, I think. That's old. I mean, I, mean, I was I was a, a wee teenager, and we they just moved mightily from COBOL to Pascal. Holy moly, I'd wish I'd actually... Look, if only then young me knew what old me knew now. Well, went, you know Co- what? COBOL, COBOL, yeah, COBOL is basically one of the... Uh, Oldest languages still in uh, still in existence, I believe. Um, apparently, first appeared in 1959, and the latest update, I believe, was 2014. However, it's not um, a program which is taught very much or used a huge amount, allegedly. But banks and all sorts of other, you know, well-established infrastructure companies use COBOL mainframes because it is rock solid, it is fast, and it's very, very good at batch processing large quantities of data. Um, Now, apparently, because of such things as the massive increase in um, people making unemployment claims, people talking to their banks, all that sort of thing... um, some of the old COBOL equipment is struggling under the strain, and so there is a desperate hunt for competent COBOL programmers who can help, uh, you know, help them out. Uh, now, this came up, this is something um, Alistair and I were talking about in the Slack. Uh, the fact that they always mention it as an old program, you know, a programming language, it, it, it's a bit irrelevant because... Um, people don't say, oh, you know, garages desperate for mechanics uh, for century-old internal combustion engine um, <laughs> work. Uh, there's just a nonsense. But um, it's just that not many people have uh, continued to learn it. However, apparently, if you are a COBOL programmer, ever since about 1999, you've been pretty much able to write your own check because... Those skills are in demand and not widely available. So there you go. It makes you realise how much um, the world relies on old-fashioned uh, technologies. I mean, there's, a, there's, there's still a lot of Windows 98 being used in the, the business world. Um, it's quite surprising. Um, yep, just wonders yep. how many people actually still know COBOL. Uh, well, obviously not enough, apparently. Yeah. Well, <laughs> not actually, enough. It's interesting to see who, if they actually get anyone. Mm. But there are people out there, and those people are, you know, well, can be highly rewarded. So, it, as it says here, if you have no COBOL experience, now is the time to pick up a skill. <laughs> Learn COBOL online. There we are. Well, they're still using floppy disks in certain uh, places. 
Yeah, you know, yeah. It, 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 they what, don't even know what it's like to have to tweak your auto exec and you can fix dot sist. There's a reference for some of the audience. <laughs> yeah. I think the the problem is what people tend to forget is that languages like COBOL go into huge systems and once they're installed as infrastructure for banking or I don't know, you know, air traffic control or um, whatever else they're used for, these things are not. You know, these are not your desktop PCs. These are not things that you rip out willy-nilly because a new and shiny new programming language has come along. These are things on which, you know, large chunks of the economy rely. And um, if they're working perfectly well and do their job fine, why would you mess with them? Um, you will not. Yeah, but you end up with the problem of uh, not being able to get equipment to replace worn-out equipment, or you know, you, you like like this problem here. You can't get uh, uh, programmers to actually write the, the language. So what's going to happen down the road when literally there's nobody to program it and the machines don't want to work? How are they going to transfer all that information over from that system to a more modern system? Well, you would imagine that on, on the hardware side, when they go into these contracts to say, right, well, you're the vendor for this uh, kit, they'll they'll have a X amount of redundancy, redundancy kit that they can swap over. I think the main issue is, is that if you've got a system that's running live 24 mm. seven, uh, like say banking or something like that, you know, that's, you've, you've got to, the impact of turning that off for a few hours to put in a new system, I mean, look at Barclays, one of the yeah. world's biggest banks. They've suffered mm-hmm. major um, issues with an upgrade, knocking people out for hours on end. But that's going to that's going to that day is going to come for that that uh, company. Um, they will have to eventually move over from that system uh, to yeah. a new one. Yeah, but the people that you know, the people that made these lucrative contracts, they've long gone now. So they've had their uh, they've had their uh, they've had their cut of the money, so to speak. <laughs> but um, no, that is true. But they're going to even. To if you start saying about migrating, you've got to migrate to something which you're mm. not you're not going to be migrating to something shiny and new. You would be you know migrating to something that is probably decades old in itself in order to mm. be you know known to be rock solid and capable. And um, don't, don't mention migration. The problems I've been having. <laughs> yeah, um, we're coming to the end, really, chaps. Mm. Quibi, a uh, new shifting. Um, is a new mobile-only um, video app which apparently uh, will serve you up short 10-minute programs with the uh, unique selling point that you can rotate your screen during, uh, you know, watching the program in order to get a different uh, view of the shot. Um, apparently, you have to pay even for the ad-supported version and uh, you can pay more money uh, on subscription to have the non ad supported uh you know version so ad free um i read about this before it launched and it struck me as uh well somewhere between frivolous and are you having a laugh um, i was gonna say pointless the same, but there you go isn't this the same as dvds way back when when you could do the whole thing of um select a different angle select a, a yeah, I'm sure they used to have this on DVDs or Blu-rays where you could select an alternative angle or uh, it reminds me of going back, back when to the Sega CD games where you could like 
choose your camera in a room. Anyway, yeah, yeah. But anyway, the platform is the brainchild of entertainment industry giant Jeffrey Katzenberg and seasoned tech executive Meg Whitman has been built from the ground up for smartphones. Um, they've invested one billion in star power and content production. They are about to find out whether consumers are willing to pay four ninety nine US dollars with ads or seven ninety nine ad free for shows that last ten minutes or less. Um, the only way to quite a lot of content in ten minutes or less, aren't you? I get a feeling it. I get a feeling this is not going to survive us. No, I don't think so either. Um, They show you here, you you know, that it rotates so you can have a widescreen or a portrait view and maybe that brings certain things into shot or out of. Um, Apparently this trick is called turnstile and it's the app's headline features. Um, I'm watching on the wee video on the the, the webpage here. Yeah. Seems rather pointless. Yeah. It strikes Especially me. if not giving you any content for free to get you into mm. it, uh, it's one it, it's it's one hell of a gamble. At least Apple. I mean, how much did Apple put into their um, streaming? So that was close to a billion or something like that, wasn't it? So for a small, well, smallish startup to go, give us money out of the box, but we're not going to let you watch anything for free to try it out because I'm wondering if part of their business strategy is get as much publicity as you can and then hook people in for that four ninety nine a month and maybe they'll forget to unsubscribe and we can just keep billing them like ghost users. Mm. Um, there we go. Um, what does he say here? Uh, effectively, the technical details uh, of how Kibi actually works are quite interesting. Anytime you're watching a show, the app is serving you two video streams simultaneously, stitching them together with a single audio track. Whichever one you're not watching is being delivered at low resolution. Once you rotate your phone, the turnstile switches from portrait to landscape and vice versa instantaneously. No pause, no buffering, or any noticeable video quality degradation. Um, It just looks like it's going from a portrait shot and then the actual landscape shot but they at least well i suppose at least they put the camera there in the right place but there's nothing you could i could see how they're achieving this effect i'm just wondering how many people are going to want to be rotating their phones but we'll probably be wrong on this because we've all dismissed it and every time i do that it turns out to be a blooming good idea yeah well um what he says here beyond all else the lack of a tv experience is difficult to get over the entire selling point is it's perfect for on-the-go viewing when episodes are this short. It's easy to watch an episode on the bus, train, or during your lunch break. The brief no-commitment entertainment is what all the commercials have underlined, but the app is launching at a time when millions of people are isolating at home, trying to escape from the t- stressful news crunch whenever possible. I can't speak for you, but my instinct is to go for the biggest screen at my disposal to take a break from the world, whether that's a TV, a laptop, or a tablet. Until normalcy is restored, Kiwi's phone-only philosophy is going to hand an easy win to Netflix, Amazon Prime Video, Disney Plus, and other multi-platform services. Um, there you go. Uh, to me, I'm sure it's technically really, really clever, um, mm-hmm. but it's what? serving 10-minute programs on your phone only, and it's going to cost you, you know, $8 a month if you don't want any ads, and its only real feature seems to be this novelty you can turn you know 
portrait mode to landscape mode uh, seamlessly on the fly. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they keep it going for just long enough to see it's vaguely popular, and then hopefully the the plan might be, well, I don't know, if it's even half good, we might get bought out by Amazon or Netflix to... Do you know that they would have patented the living hell out of this? So oh, I think yeah. that's, uh, that's probably... That's got to factor into things. Is this one of these, yeah, what is your exit strategy? Wait until we get enough interest and get bought by somebody else, yes. Um, for the technology. I don't know. There you go. That, that's that just concludes the... today's cynical old Git podcast. <laughs> it does indeed. Um, moving on to security and privacy. Uh, Zoom in a bucket full of trouble. Um, they didn't do themselves very many favours. School districts have banned Zoom over security uh, concerns and Google and the US senators and Taiwan and probably a whole load of other people. Um, it's been a bit of a tennis match. It's like uh, watching the ball go back and forward between Zoom bring out new features and then going back to them with security problems, then bouncing back with the upgraded security and then bounce back again. I love the fact um, that he said, but don't worry, everybody, we're going to have a feature freeze for 90 days. Do you not think that if you're, if you're going to release an app that enterprises are going to be using, security should be pretty damn high on that list of things? Yeah, and also especially if it's a government that's using it, which I think uh, Boris has yeah. been using it. Indeed. Just makes you wonder what's getting leaked out. <laughs> the only thing I can say about that is when it comes to, um, you know, when it comes to a choice between conspiracy and cock-up, um, cock-up should win, you know, all the time. <laughs> oh, this isn't a cock-up. This is... <laughs> This, this is go. beyond the cock-up. This is something that you'd find on Pornhub of being violated. <laughs> it's, oh, it's just, at least he's come out and at least he said something, but you do wish that they'd sort of thought about it a little bit more before they sent out a press release. I, have, I, haven't, I haven't got a link to this one, but um, apparently did not the CEO uh, come out swinging and accuse his competitors of now is not the time to be, you know, attacking each other. Now is the time for us all to come together. Um, oh, yeah, <laughs> because if you could seize a comp- competitive advantage over your pro- or someone else's product, you'd go, you know what, I won't, I'm, I'm sure they'll do the same thing. I'm sure they'll be nice to us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but surely isn't that very statement, you know, hypocritical? Now is not, he came out attacking his competitors by saying they should not be squabbling. Uh, there we go. Um, Google have pulled an app called Super VPN from the Play Store and all users have been urged to delete it, according to uh, PC Mag. Um, I don't know if this is an Android-only app, but... Um, an Android VPN with over 100 million installs has been removed from the Google Play Store following discovery of a serious vulnerability. Um, it was reported to Google in February, uh, and VPN Pro found that Super VPN left itself open to man-in-the-middle attacks. Well, they're not that. It's, it's called Super VPN, um, and Google have pulled it and urged everybody who's got it to stop using it. Um, I think it may be Android only, actually. But um... there are, there are, there's also other problems with VPNs just now with um, iOS, where they're, they're not actually fully working. Maybe well, you do some something like switch on um, yeah airplane turn, mode and then turn, turn it back on again. But that it, I, it is true. That is true that there's a bug in mm-hmm. there, as we talked about before. Um, mm-hmm. But that mostly appears to only apply to 
kind of live connections before you turn the VPN on. So it's mostly mm-hmm. things like your push notifications. It's not ideal, and I'm hopefully Apple will fix it. Um, but yes, no, there are such things are always a constant, you know, um, leapfrog, aren't they? Attackers attempting to find ways to penetrate your defences and the defenders endlessly trying to find ways to uh, keep ahead. Um, Twitter have removed the option that allowed users to not share their data with advertisers on its mobile app. Boo, hiss, hiss, Twitter. Very, very disappointed indeed, if not bloody surprised. Um, yeah, it was always on the records, wasn't this is going to happen? Just another reason not to use the cesspool that is Twitter. <laughs> Except both you and I are on it. Yes, there we are. Um, and to wrap it up... Yeah, sorry, James? No, I was just going to say, I don't use Twitter and I don't use Facebook. No, I don't use Facebook. I don't have anything no. to do with Facebook at all. Um, I have been forced to put WhatsApp on my phone because our um, company work group, what you know, during lockdown is on there. But uh, that will be staying only until normalcy returns and then it will be getting deleted. I tried to urge them to go for Slack, but of course most of them already use WhatsApp. So I was voted down on that one. Never mind. There we are. Last two stories then. I've got a tip in here, a link to 9to5Mac, which is how to check which iPhone apps have camera and mic access, um, which is basically go to your settings and have a look. But uh, not a bad thing to do. Just check that, uh, you know, only apps you expect to have camera and microphone access. Um, Link in the show notes. And apparently Samsung is finally killing off the S Voice Assistant on the 1st of June. Um, unsurprisingly, the S Voice Assistant, uh, Bixby, never caught on, and uh, so Samsung... Well, wasn't S Voice... Uh, S Voice was different to Bixby, wasn't it? I thought there was S Voice, and then it was replaced with Bixby. So I thought that's what I read in the article. All right, let's have a look. S Voice was introduced in 2012... Um, but it was buggy and slow. Um, Samsung essentially replaced S-Voice with Bixby, starting with the Galaxy S8, although Bixby itself hasn't impressed reviewers. Um, Okay, a few of Samsung's wearables have S-Voice. The Galaxy Watch and Galaxy Active have Bixby available, and a similar upgrade will provided to S3 and Gear Sport. Okay, so they're actually not killing off Bixby, even though Bixby is probably not far behind, if you want my honest opinion. There we are. And I think that's probably all the stories. So um, let's just wrap it up, shall we? Um, obviously, mm, yep. you know, there's no Nemo because, well, lockdown and stuff. Uh, and there we are. So, uh, James, would you like to tell people where they can find your workings around the internet? Uh, you can find me in the Slack group. Uh, I also run the Essential Apple uh, Flickr uh, group and you'll also find me as the srps paint shop that's the srps paint shop uh and flicker excellent um uh, nick is at spligosh s-p-l-i-g-o-s-h on twitter very very occasionally and uh turns up reasonably frequently on let's talk apple uh with bart Bouchots. um and of course 
where can we find you, Mark? Well, I'm on the Twitter at Ocean Speed, and you can also find me on another podcast called The Watching Men, where we take a look at films, TV, media, and our own inimitable twist of review style on it. So that's The Watching Men on the iTunes Store or Anchor or wherever you get your podcast entertainment from. And And I'm also... On the YouTube, I've done a couple of videos on the Essential Apple YouTube. Uh, what was the last one I did? You know what? I, I genuinely can't. Oh, so I've just finished a review of using unlimited mobile data for five months, and I'm currently in the middle of doing a video review of some image stabilization software for the iPad, and that's almost finished. And of course, they will go up onto our Patreon channel before it gets on YouTube. So if you want to have a bit of a head start, head over to Patreon slash Essential Apple. And if you'd like to make a donation, one off recurring, please feel free to. You don't have to, but it just makes us feel all the bit better and it goes into the helping of running the show. Indeed, it all helps in these troubled times. Uh, you can, of course, find the links for the Patreon or the Pinecast Tips Jar in the uh, show notes or over on the website. You can follow me on the Twitters as at Serenak, and that's S-E-R-E-N-A-K, where you will find a mixture of stuff related to this show and my political aggravations. And uh, that's about it. Thank you, everybody who listens. Thank you for the people who donate or contribute. Thank you to the slackers, of course. And uh, until next week, stay safe, everybody. Goodbye. Cheerio. And cheerio for me. You've been listening to the Essential Apple Podcast. And I'd like to say, if you enjoy the show and would like to support us, feel free to go over to the website essentialapple.com and you will find links to both Patreon and the Pinecast Tips Jar, where you can make a donation towards the costs of the show. Uh, Or even, if you're really keen, you could set up a recurring payment. And thank you very, very much to all the people who already do support us. We really do appreciate you very much indeed. This show is, of course, part of the My Mac Podcasting Network, where you can find a variety of other shows like the My Mac Podcast with Guy and Gaz, the G-Men, Tech Fan with Tim and David, the Nintendo Club Podcast, the Geekiest Show Ever, the Three Geeky Ladies, uh... Bart Bouchotts and his wonderful Let's Talk Apple, and possibly some more that I forgot. So why not go over to mymac.com, take a look at the available podcast, and take a listen. My gal pals, Elisa, Susie, and Vicky, the three geeky ladies, told me to remind you that they will release a new podcast each month. So, check them out at threegeekyladies.com or subscribe in iTunes. The Three Geeky Ladies, part of the My Mac Podcasting Network. This has been the Essential Apple Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show and we look forward to you joining us again another time. Until then, goodbye.